With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't tread on my mojo. Mojo 5-0. I have a dream. One day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created in Black men thinking. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. Black men thinking. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it's made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Black men thinking. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Black men thinking, 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 thinking. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking, thinking, thinking. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking, here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 5.0 Radio. And, of course, we're also available anywhere that you can find your podcasts. We are going to be there, and we definitely would like for you to take the time to check us out. Uh, even look at some, some of our prior uh, episodes. I think you'll be encouraged. Um, this is a show about an, about an American perspective. I just happen to be a black American but or an American black man a Christian American black man but that's just station identification uh, let's get to work um, well I think it's clear for everybody now but unfortunately maybe not for everybody that the whole COVID debacle is not a medical situation at all this is this is a a mass hysteria mass control propaganda situation if we're going to talk about COVID-19 at all, let's just let's just state it. Um, what's really unique about its symptoms? It's not really different from the flu. You got you got fever, headache, chills, fever, muscle aches. Um, we've even had with the so-called Omicron variant. I don't believe there's an Omicron variant. To be honest with you, but that's just me. I think is I think we're looking at the same thing over time, um, but. I could be wrong. 
But whatever it is that's going around now, they're trying. There are actually articles out there trying to help people tell the difference between it and the common cold, which is not a testament to how severe colds are, but a testament to how weak and inconsequential whatever this so-called latest variant of COVID-19 is. It's really not different from any other respiratory ailment. Those other ailments just don't have the press that COVID-19 has. They don't have the, um, the data manipulation going on trying to make it seem like something that it is not. And I'm I'm going to stay on this about, you know, let's talk about the, uh, we talk about the symptoms. The symptoms are really not a big deal anymore. And let's talk about the manufactured case numbers. So, we are, how deep into this thing? And we have like 61, 62 million cases of COVID-19. Of course, the last time we paid attention to the flu... It took the flu six months to to compile 56 million cases. It's taken COVID-19 two years to get to 60. And you gotta you gotta keep something in mind here. Um, the way things go, almost anything show qualifies you as a COVID case. If you show up with any, if you if you go to the hospital and get a fever. With a fever, and they check you have a fever. Um, that's the leading symptom of COVID nineteen, and you'll be classified as COVID nineteen. There are some hospitals that, if you test positive, whatever that means at that hospital for COVID nineteen, then you must be admitted to the hospital. Wow! And you will be admitted as a COVID nineteen patient. At least you'll be reported as such, to at least to the news. Which is why they're saying, you know, there's so much manipulation here. So if I go and I have a I have a sore foot, and I go to urgent care, I go to the emergency room because of for one reason or another, and I also happen to have a fever, maybe I got the sniffles. Then someone's going to say, well, you probably got COVID, and uh, there's a chance, depending on what hospital I go to, that that clinical um, determination will result in a hospital admission and I will be called a COVID patient. That's ridiculous. But if you think it's not happening, okay. You have to remember, one of the things about the manipulation here, dealing with the deaths, we'll come back to that in a minute, is are as many people dying from COVID as they tell you? The answer is no. But Well, how come there's not a the big outcry about it? Because they pay people if they accept the um, the cause of death is COVID. You you get you get paid if your loved one died of COVID. It's part of emptying the treasury, paying people um, to keep quiet about the deaths when the deaths are not occurring for the reason that they want to state. So any symptom can qualify as a case of COVID. Now, then there's this ridiculous, and I I call it ridiculous testing regime that started very early on when all you heard was wall-to-wall Fauci talking about, we're not testing enough, we're not testing enough. I said, why am I testing people who 
are showing no symptoms. When do since when do we start doing that? Testing asymptomatic people? Wouldn't that be Of course then they, that was backed up with the interesting speculation about asymptomatic spread. Well, wonder, wonder what happened to that rhetoric. But then there's also the staggering number of retests. I don't know if you know this. But in the United States, we test two point. We have like two point seven one eight million tests for a million of population. It's three hundred, nearly three hundred thirty-one million uh, people. Well, it's three hundred uh, thirty thirty-four million people almost in the United States. Which means there have been eight hundred thirty-four million COVID tests performed in the United States. Eight hundred and thirty-four million COVID tests for a population of three hundred and thirty-four million, actually less than that. If I just did some basic math and said I got sixty-one, sixty-two million cases of COVID, and um, let's just say that let's just say, just for sake of argument, that they all came about, we tested everybody because we've done enough to test everybody more than twice. We have. But let's say we did that and we're just looking to see, you know, if I divided the 62 million cases into the 834 million tests, that gives me a 7.3 positivity rate. 7.3%? That's enough to shut down the country, huh? Do you think so? I don't. But then, of course, there's the deaths. But 800-some-odd million people have died. Bull. Crap. Bull. Hogwash. Malarkey. Horse manure. Why do I say that? Why, why are you so anti-science? Why are you so, so anti-everything? Because I know when somebody's lying to me. I hurt, and I've played it on this, on this broadcast several times. Go back to April 2020. When Burks and Fauci stood up in a press conference and declared anyone in America who dies with a positive COVID test or with a positive COVID diagnosis, if you die with COVID, we are counting your death as having died from COVID, no matter how you died, no matter how you died. Fauci and Burks put that out there. I think it was April 7th. Um, the Illinois Public Health Director picked up on that. The Maricopa County, uh, Arizona Public Health Director picked up on that. State of Oregon picked up on that. All over the place. If you die with COVID, then you died of COVID. Let's, and let's not forget that back in March of uh, 2020, I think it was the 24th of March, the CDC put out a memo to NVSS, the people who do death certificates, and said, you can use a code which indicates that COVID was an underlying cause of death on people and you don't have to have a positive test result. That's, hap- that's been going on since March of 2020. So, 
how many people have actually died of COVID? CDC says 95% of um, COVID dead had, gee whiz, two, three, four, more things wrong with them that could have killed them. And that report is still out there for anybody who wants to find it. It's at cdc.gov. It is still out there. And let me give you an idea. Of the 800 and some odd thousand, 820, whatever number it is over 800,000, it doesn't say that people died of COVID. It says that COVID was listed on the death certificate. And here's some other things that were listed on the same death certificates with people who died of COVID. Flu and pneumonia, 401,000 of those who died who had COVID on their death certificate also had flu and pneumonia. How did you determine which one killed them? How did you make the determination? Because Fauci and Burke said there was no determination. They said if COVID is involved, then COVID killed you. So how do you, so how do you sit there and just dismiss flu and pneumonia, which kills people every year? What about respiratory failure? 322,000. Hypertensive disease, which has nothing to do with respiratory disease. And you don't just up and get hypertensive disease because you got a respiratory virus. You had that. 152,000. Diabetes. What the heck does that have to do with your lungs? 126,000. 97,000 from cardiac arrest. 89,000 from adult respiratory distress syndrome. ARDS. Different from COVID-19. But that's there. COVID-19 is there. Fauci and Burks, who run the world uh, as far as the U.S. government statistics on COVID, said, yep, that's a COVID death. Renal failure. 87,000. Here's my personal favorite. Unintentional injury poisoning, and other adverse events, 17,500. When you look into these numbers, they're just making up... The thing is, if you read the report, they make it real clear. When COVID was listed, we're also letting you know these other things were listed as well. But they stopped far short of saying conclusively that COVID was the cause of death the things I just gave you particularly that unintentional injury poisoning and other adverse events in other words you were going you like the interesting one of the interesting things to me is listening to um, a, a uh, broadcast I heard from the state of Oregon where they just said you know what is this about a guy who got who who, who died in a traffic accident and you label his death as COVID yeah, well, he happened to have COVID at the time that he died. Okay, yeah, but that kind of brings you back to my question. How are you saying that he died of COVID? Because that's the guidelines issued by the National Institutes of Health. And gone through the CDC down to the NVSS. It was challenged. It was, you know, uh, coroners were saying, look, this doesn't make sense. They got overruled. They simply got overruled. So we're doing all this. We're making every respiratory ailment 
into COVID. We're testing people who have no symptoms. And now, of course, you do you you do recall that Omicron, like thir- uh, anywhere between a third to forty-one percent of those who get Omicron don't have any symptoms. So how do you tell whether or not they have it? Oh, well, we're testing them. You're testing symptomless people for something that's not bothering them. And to date, I have not heard any credible case because I'll put it this way. When I look for credible information about coronavirus, I do not pay attention to American media. I already know they're lying. I listen to I listen to what's going on abroad. And it's not that they're informa- it's not that they they're not in on this this scam that's going on because they definitely are. But they're not as blatant with the lying that they do. And they do still have some people there who are trying to keep uh, honest and clean numbers. Scotland, Ireland, uh, so the UK is one. Israel is another. India has been put on on mute by um, American media. You don't hear anything about India anymore. They went to ivermectin in some of their provinces. Uh, COVID started disappearing. You don't hear about them. Africa, you don't hear about Africa anymore. The only time you heard about Africa is South Africa and Omicron. And the folks in South Africa saying Omicron's not even a big deal here. But now that's a part of Joe Biden's um, pandemic of the unvaccinated. Wow. So all of this was done. All of these lies were told. All of this panic was pushed to encourage you to participate in a clinical trial featuring the most dangerous quote-unquote vaccine of which I've heard in my lifetime. And that would be the COVID uh, injections. I don't call them vaccines because they're they're basically mRNA. Uh, it's, It's gene therapy. And it's never been approved for widespread distribution among human beings and there's a reason for that and it's still not approved for widespread distribution among human beings this is everything is still going on an emergency use authorization well the CDC fully fully um, uh, uh, approved Pfizer a couple of months ago no they didn't they approved something that had not even been manufactured they approved as we for those of us who work in IT they approved vaporware and what you were still uh, getting put into people's arms was still under emergency use authorization only. And guess what? We are now at the end of the year. And as I have been doing since May, I just go back and check. I just use one source of data, not because it's the greatest, not because it's the most comprehensive, but because I want to be consistent. And these numbers have consistently jumped all over the place. The VAERS database, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System database that HHS maintains on their website. Wide open. They're just uh, CSV field, uh, CSV files, comma separated variable files that you can open up in Excel. Anyone can open up this data. Anyone can, can analyze the data, do what I've done with it. 
And the interesting thing is the government has not shut that down. I find it fascinating because every moment that it is out there, it undercuts everything they're saying about this virus. Now we're at the end of the year. The latest data has been uh, been updated through the 31st of December. So we have full year statistics on this. Let me just give you this. For the full year, there are now 747,180 vaccine adverse events in the VAERS database. 747,000. Well, I don't know if that seems like a lot. Well, last year, 2020, there were 47,000. So there's 700,000 more than last year. And in 2019, there was 48,000. 699,000 more than 2019. Oh, by the way, ninety-three in, in 93% of the cases where there's a vax type identified, 93% of those vaccine types were, guess what, COVID-19. 93% of those 747,000 cases are COVID vaccine cases. And there are only 70 vaccines, uh, vaccine um, types that are out there. One of those 70 produced 93% of the reported adverse events. What about deaths? We cracked 10,000 deaths in the database. 10,076. That's a lot. Well, maybe it's not. Yeah, it is a lot. Because in 2020, there was only 166. So we're talking about more than 60 times the number of deaths in 2020. There were 183 deaths in, in 2019. So we're talking about 50, 55 times that. And what percentage of those deaths were COVID? 96.88. Nearly 97% of all the deaths that are reported in the vaccine adverse events uh, reporting system that HHS maintains for this year are associated with a COVID-19 vaccine. But they tell you it's safe and effective. Now, add to the fact of all this unprecedented activity on um, acts on adverse events that the vaccines don't work. They tell you they work, but people are still getting infected. And they were getting infected from the outset. This thing never stopped infection. Doesn't prevent infection. It doesn't infect trans it doesn't stop transmission. Remember, not long after the people were getting vaccinated and they thought, hey, I can take off my mask because I'm not a threat to people. The same CDC that was that, that is still telling you to get vaccinated told you to put your mask back on because you're a threat to the unvaccinated, which makes absolutely no sense. So if I'm a threat to the unvaccinated, if I get vaccinated, then why don't I just stay unvaccinated because I'm still a threat. I'm a threat to them either way. So and I'm going to get infected either way. Where is the benefit of getting vaccinated? You can't find it. Well, you're not going to get hospitalized if you get. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. If you're like the folks in Israel where they're telling the truth, 95 percent of the people in the hospital for covid are fully vaccinated and boosted. Now, unless we have a different human DNA in the United States than they have in the Holy Land, somebody lying to you. And I don't think it's Israel. I don't. So what is this whole thing about anyway? 
you got to ask yourself that question. What is this whole thing about? Well, one thing it's about is government controlling everything you do. That is basically all this is about. The problem for the Biden administration now is that the courts are weighing in and the limitations that exist in the Constitution because the founding fathers didn't want the government, the federal government, telling people how to live. They would just gotten out of a situation where they had a central government telling them how to live. They're saying, you know what? We don't think really that's the way it, it should be. And you had two uh, circuit courts say, no, you can't do this. And then you found one circuit court, judge shopping always does produce a result. Some women came back and said, oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, we, can, we have to protect people. Look, the government is not your mother. Not supposed to be. And what you're trying to tell me is that the government, which is made up of the same people that you are, it, how are they going to protect you when they're not even protecting themselves? They can't. Well, they're vaccinated. Well, the vaccines don't work. So how is that helping anybody? You're under you're under um, political attack like you haven't seen, and they're after the republic. They're after the prerogatives that people have living in a republic. And if you don't get clear on that, then you may never see actual liberty again. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking, we'll be back right after this. You want to wake up refreshed like you slept on a cloud. Get yourself the very best in bedding supplies today. You deserve it. Go to MyPillow.com and don't forget our very special promo code, Mojo50, for incredible savings. It's original. It's bold. It's patriotic. It's American. It's American Pride Roasters Coffee. Historically, great coffee. AmericanPrideRoasters.com This is Matthew Holloway of the Holonet. You know, if I'd have thought about this before I actually hit the button to go on the show. He's one of Mojo 50s top hosts. I don't have a producer, and I suck at my job, so hang on. I'm gonna he see keeps up can... with everything that's news and mojo. Okay, see if I can find these damn emails from El, El Rondo. He's here. a team player that plays by the rules. Get my get my sensor button going so I don't make the boss, man. We don't whine him. It takes plenty of time and effort to get as good at this job as he is. That didn't work. That's weird. Huh. He uses the best technology he has to offer. Oh, good thing we're getting to the end of the show because my tablet just bricked. And he brings every bit of enthusiasm to his show that he can muster. A couple of other stories to get to. I've got five minutes left. I don't want to. Do I have to? Tune in to Mojo each Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And listen to Matthew put his talent to work. And you're standing on the edge face up because you're a what? Didn't see you there. I was busy eating this delicious meal from preparewithmojo50.com. You look hungry. Do you want some? Of course you do. Get your own. You can go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com. You can't have mine.
thinking we're going to continue with hour one and um, following up on all the um, interesting information, which I would simply call lies, regarding uh, COVID and the real drive behind that. I need you to look at now, we just had the um, jobs report for the month of December 2021 come out. So that that came out this past um, Friday. And I want to know if I'm going to talk about whether or not the lies that we've heard on COVID or other lies that we're hearing can actually help the U.S. economy. Now, the first thing I want to do is I'm going to play a CNN, um, forgive me, forgive me, uh, <laughs> CNN uh, review of the jobs report. And then I'm going to hit you with some other information specifically kind of what they chose to leave out. Labor Department just released the December jobs report. Joining us now, CNN chief business correspondent Christine Romans and CNN White House correspondent John Harwood. Romans, some wow and some huh. Yeah, 199,000 net new jobs added in the month of December, and that is the slowest job growth of the year. But the jobless rate fell to 3.9%. That's the best of the pandemic. So that number on the right hand of your screen is showing you a labor market that is doing quite well. Uh, the, the jobs gains, 199,000, was pretty widespread here. When I look within these numbers also, John, um, I see kind of a stutter at the end of the year when you compare with just how strong the rest of the year was. I mean, this year, on average, 537,000 jobs a month uh, added back into the labor market. More than 6 million jobs added this year. That is a record-breaking year after a record-breaking year of losses the year before, of course. So it's always important to show where we have been and where we're going here. Um, This is less than many economists had estimated, but I have not been giving a lot of credence to economists expectations in the past few months, John, because they've been so far off. And in fact, the government itself here has revised November numbers and October numbers higher to the tune of another 141,000 net new jobs there. So, you know, they're still tweaking these numbers and they tend to undershoot them. But the big picture for the year, 537,000 on average a month jobs added back overall, more than 6 million jobs added in the year. That breaks a record. But for the month, a bit of a disappointment, John. I got to say, Romans, when you see unemployment numbers in the threes, though, as a rate, that is very low. It really is. I mean, consider that in April 2020, what, we popped to 15% for an unemployment rate, which is catastrophic for the United States economy and for working people. And now to be all the way down to 3.9%. I also see in here wages up 4.7% year over year. That is the practical thing here for so many workers. We see these job hoppers who are leaving from one industry to another. We see companies that are doing their best to give you know hiring bonuses, signing bonuses, and pay raises to, to keep and retain workers. And we see workers who have utterly reprioritized their um, their expectations, hopes and dreams about their job. And that has been a real hallmark of this jobs recovery, that it is the worker who has the upper hand. No question here. And I think that continues to be the story in 2022. So a lot of fast talking from CNN, excuse me, CNN, uh, Chicken Noodle News, uh, Clinton News Network, uh, Communist News Network, all the other things you may want to call them. Um but here's some interesting things. So here's what they wanted to tell you. Uh, 199,000 jobs created. Uh, okay. And record annual 6 million jobs, over 6 million jobs uh, created in a year. 3.9% unemployment rate. Uh-huh. And wage increase of 47 uh, percent year over year. That's 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 real income growth. 
And, uh, well, there's also some other information showing that leisure and hospitality uh, during this month, this one month, we're showing the largest gains of people, you know, getting back to work with the uh, job creation. Yeah. So let me get sure I got this straight. 199,000 jobs created. If we were running a normal economy, um, I think what we need is somewhere between 150, 160,000 jobs a month uh, to make sure that the economy is continuing to move forward, replacing people who are going to leave the workforce for one reason or another. So when you see 199,000, we must be doing great. Yeah. What the CNNsters chose not to tell you was that expectations were for 422,000 jobs. So they missed this by more than half. More than half. Are you getting me? Basically, they were expecting more than twice as many jobs as they got. And of course, you're going in, you're talking about December where, where hiring is going to be picking up just at least seasonal hiring, temp jobs, all this other stuff. And instead, you underperform by more than 50%. So is that really a good number? It's a terrible number. Well, you know, and we have record job growth uh, for the year, and this just kind of falls on a flat note. But we got it. We don't want to over ignore the record. You act as though December of 2021 was the only month in which they massively disappointed versus expectations. This was the third or the fourth month. They've been all over the map, but when they miss, they miss big. And they've missed at least three or four times. We're not actually doing all that well. 422,000 jobs were expected. 199,000. 422 versus 199. Wow. Of course, if Trump were still president, these numbers were happening. Uh, you know, we uh, CNN, um, MSNBC, and the normal uh, mainstream media types would probably be burning Trump in effigy in their studios. So, but uh, well, maybe not even in effigy. They probably try to get him for real. But now it's they're trying to put lipstick on a pig. Okay, that's that's really what this was about. So let's get to that next one. Record annual job creation. Yeah. So let me get to, let me get this straight. I got record annual job creation. But I just missed the end of the month, which is a which is a time when hiring, at least for temporary jobs, has greatly increased. And I'm sure that was built into the expectations that they missed. So you missed that. And they also didn't talk about the record number of resignations and retirements that have gone on since Joe Biden has been president. Here's an interesting thing. CNN, same group of folks or same network, ran a report in December that actually talked about people leaving their jobs in droves. People say it's a resignation. To me, it's not a resignation. It's a revolution. We're finally realizing our worth. 
A record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November, mainly from low-wage positions. For months now, workers have been resigning in mass. 23-year-old barback Ifoma Izimako, who quit her job this summer, says it's a labor market revolution. I've done it since I was 15. I love the customer service, hospitality industry. I love putting a smile on people's faces. But it got to a point where I felt like I was giving a little bit too much of myself. As a barback in Washington, D.C., she's guaranteed a $5.05 tipped minimum wage. But with fewer customers coming in, that meant fewer tips with more responsibility. Every day I had to enforce certain things where I'm like, this is not in my job description. And now I'm being paid less. More than one million people quit their leisure and hospitality jobs in November, with hundreds of thousands more quitting low-wage retail and healthcare jobs. There are still 10.6 million unfilled positions. People feel empowered, and they should, because the job market is really, really tight. They have opportunity. If they're not happy with what they're doing, they're going to take another one. So I think quit rates are going to remain high for a long time to come. And as Omicron sweeps the country, this... Silence is what many restaurant owners are facing. Michael Dorf, CEO of City Winery, says he's doing everything to keep the staff he has left, even with less business. I don't want to afford to lose a single person, and we're still hiring, as ironic as that is. We have some specials today. He normally operates with 1,200 employees across his 12 restaurant and music venues. We're only up to about 950 around the country. Have you seen people quitting at a higher rate than usual? Yeah, for sure. We've seen people quit on the spot. He says he's risen wages to above $15 an hour and into the 20s for kitchen staff. His labor costs rose to 36% of his operating budget, but it still may not be enough. Do you still feel like you're going to find that people are leaving, quitting? Yes. I think the hospitality industry is going to be especially challenged because there's a lot of other good, high-paying jobs out there. And that's what Izimako is looking for. Until then, she's moved back in with her parents and is back to school getting her sociology degree while doing gig work part-time. Her hope is that her old industry will transform enough to lure her back. If they were to offer us a one-fair wage, $15 plus tips on top, I'd go back. I love illuminating somebody's day, but at the same time, I have a little bit more self-worth now. Vanessa Yurkevich, CNN, New York. Father God of Israel, um, that is... So let me get it straight, because we just heard the first clip of CNN trying to make good out of the December jobs report, saying that, oh, we have... 5 million, no, no 199,000 jobs created this month and over 6 million jobs uh, coming in this year. Wait a minute, you just had 4.5 million people quit jobs in November. Quit. 4.5 million quit in November and Biden economy produces 199,000 the following month. Oh, by the way, um, you indicated that in the 199,000 jobs that were created, that the biggest gains were in leisure and hospitality. Did you hear in that of the clip we just played that more than one million of those who quit their jobs in November were in leisure and hospitality? You're losing ground. You're losing ground. If all of the jobs in November were in leisure and hospitality, you would still have lost about 800,000 jobs in that sector. 
as I told you, they're trying to put lipstick on a pig. So, now the the young lady that they talked about, or who was the subject of this of this um, clip they showed, or I played for you, you know, she's talking about, well, you know, I, I, I you know, we just now know our uh, our worth, my self worth, and uh, the work, the worth of the workers. Excuse me, you are being paid what you were worth. Well, I don't think I'm worth that, so you're going to get, you're going to quit. So what are you getting paid now, and who's paying you? That second one is the real deal because now we know where the emptying of the treasury on COVID has gone. It has gone to taking people who have no skills and making them feel important by allowing them to have an existence as meager as it may be without working. Have you figured that out yet? Have as meager an existence as they can without working she's moved back in with her parents and she's going to school to get a sociology degree and her and her aspiration at least short term is to hope that leisure and hospitality goes to $15 an hour with tips so she can come back where have we heard this before do you it when was it it wasn't even two years ago when that was all you could hear. $15 minimum wage, $15 minimum wage. Guys, do you see what a $15 minimum wage is doing? Or the, 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 the seeking of that? You're going to raise prices to the point where you talk about a divide on income, you know, wealth and income inequality. You're going to have consumer inequality. Who's going to be able to afford to go to a restaurant or a bar if you raise the labor cost to more than 36% that you heard in that argument? Because I got 36% of his costs are paying people who have no real skills. Don't get it twisted. This is unskilled labor we're talking about. And so the government has been paying unskilled labor not to work. Who does that hurt? It hurts the businesses that utilize unskilled labor, making those businesses raise their prices and making it harder for them to stay in business, which now creates a permanent or a more permanent or a, and a larger class of people who actually have this strange idea that they're worth more than the market will pay them or should pay them. Because the, if the restaurants are empty, please explain to me what your what your hourly wage should be, and where's that money coming from? That's another thing people do not seem to understand. I can tell you where, where a lot where their money's been coming from for the for for the better part of a year has been coming from the U.S. Treasury. But I digress. Now CNN went on about the you know look at that low three point nine. Uh, percent unemployment rate. Well, yeah, that's the U3 number, which doesn't count everybody. It doesn't count everybody who doesn't have a job. It doesn't count the people who stop looking. How about the people who quit? And they've been quitting for months. Wait a minute. I have a 3.9% unemployment rate with 10.6 million job openings still in the country. What good? Why are you even talking to me about an unemployment rate when there are 
1.5. You know, the workforce is only about 160 million folks in the beginning. So if I just say this, I got almost 11 million out of 160 million. So I got about 11 out of 160. That's close to 7% unemployment if I just count the job openings that have gone unfilled. Are you catching on to this? Four and a half million people quit their jobs in November. Joe Biden adds back 200,000 the next month. A million people in hospitality quit, but they're all talking about, look at the comeback in hospitality when all you have was 200,000 jobs across the board. This person's talking about how, how she has her self-worth, but she's not. she quit her job. She still doesn't have a job. She's moved back in with her parents because she doesn't have enough money to live on her own. And she's going to get a, a degree that's going to sociology degree. Are you serious? What are you going to do? Well, talk about why would I pay all that money for a degree that only qualifies me to get the entry-level job that I already had? That doesn't make any sense to me. But that's what's happening here. By the way, the workforce participation rate with all these people quitting is down at 61.9%. That's less than the 63.4% that we had back in March of 2020 under Trump before, of course, the bottom fell out of everything. It's also lower than anything you saw during the Obama years when Biden was vice president. And Obama was was testing the low limits that we had seen in the 1970s under Jimmy Carter. We, guys, you got to remember something. Maybe, well, some of you may not be old enough to remember. The reason Jimmy Carter was defeated by Ronald Reagan when he sought re-election is nobody was working in America. Part of the 1980 campaign that Reagan ran was we need to put Americans back to work. Joe Biden is going in the op- exact opposite direction and he's actually paying people not to work. So when I consider the jobs report for the month just ended, December 2021, and I see the implications and how it plays out through the year, you know, one of the reasons I do what I do is I don't chase the moment. Because I realized that there's more of a continuum than there is a moment. And very few things are unprecedented, including what we're seeing now. Usually what happens, particularly when leftists are involved, and they have on their mind or in their sights the idea of destroying something with which they do not agree, and they do not agree with the idea of, a, of America as a free republic. They don't like that. Remember what was the a quote that was attributed to Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. And the interesting thing is, if there's not a crisis that leftists, Democrats, and global, globalists can capitalize upon, they're going to create one. They're kind of like the um, the hero fireman, you know. And the question is, what do you you know? What do you call a, a hero fireman when there's no fire? He's an arsonist because he's going to create the thing that allows him to come to the rescue. 
And the Democrats are doing the same thing, but they're not trying to rescue. They're trying to destroy. They're trying to give somebody um, enough fear that they will call out for a left a left wing response to a cri- to a crisis, even if that crisis is manufactured. And you say, "What do you? Why are you talking about it this way? Do you remember the Great Recession?" Interesting thing about the Great Recession is it didn't just it didn't happen in 2000, 2008. It started back under the Carter administration. What are you talking about? The mortgage bubble that you saw explode and tank the U.S. economy at the end of the Bush administration. Air started being pumped into that thing when Jimmy Carter, under the guise of we can't have racism in mortgage lending, decided to change the rules of loan underwriting so that people who did not have the money and did not have the credit could buy homes. Well, I was just trying to make it fair. No, you're not making it fair. Lending money on 30-year loans is not about fairness. It is about stability. It is about the bank. Because they, they, we did live in a country where people still did. They did. We did pay loans. Folks did pay their loans off. Folks had mortgage burning parties. All of that stuff before the time of most of the people who are now list, who uh, be listening to, what I, uh, to my words. And for you... To get to the point where you could be confident that the people you were giving money that they would take 30 years to pay you back, you had to have some underwriting rules that gave you high confidence that you were giving money to a stable individual. And part of that was they had saved money. They were ready to put 20% down on a house. And they had stable um, employment a history of earning that and obviously other good credit references to see how they treated their bills how they treat their financial obligations and because we had those underwriting rules American home mortgages were among the safest and most sought after investments on the planet why? because Americans pay their mortgages or they did until you had people going and doing crazy stuff like telling the banks that they must lend to people who don't meet the normal guidelines that started under the the uh, Carter administration it was accelerated under the Clinton administration because you got to remember you didn't have uh, once Carter got got um got one termed into oblivion you didn't have another Democrat president for you know, 12 years. And once Clinton showed up, we got back into the same mess. And then they emptied the treasury when the the bottom fell out. They emptied the treasury. And they doubled the debt. And even when they found out that what they were doing was not going to work, Barney Frank stood up and blocked the the then Bush administration from being able to look into what uh, Sally May, not Sally May, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were doing as far as the oversight on what kind of, what are you guys doing with this lending? What loans are you guaranteeing? 
Why was it blocked by Democrats like Barney Frank? And yes, it does matter that Barney Frank was a homosexual. I, I know people want to say it doesn't. No, it matters that people who are personally not moral would have a say in public policy. It does matter. However, why do they want that? Because they didn't want anyone to stop the destruction of the American economy. And that was just one blow. And now what we have is another manufactured crisis with a virus. It's manufactured. We know it's manufactured. And everything you're seeing about it right now is designed to just keep this going as long as they can possibly you know, get it to go. They don't care. It's not their concern whether or not you're going to survive this thing. They, they don't care. What you need to understand is that this is the second big one. Well, actually the third big one. Was there a crisis during the Carter administration? Yes. It was so bad that they kicked him out after one term. You have to remember, uh, you know, helicopters crashed in the desert because we couldn't rescue the the U.S. The U.S. couldn't couldn't go and get um, hostages away from a regime that didn't even have an army. Gas lines, everything else that was going on, heating heating fuel crisis, all that stuff going on, triple digit unemployment, triple digit inflation, triple digit digit federal interest. A double-digit federal interest rates, unemployment, and inflation. Guy had to get rid of all that. Now we have inflation back up to 6.8%, which is a 39-year high. A 39-year high. Not as high as it was. Oh, my gosh. We're getting back to the numbers that we saw when Dem- See, this is what happens when Democrats run the country. This is what you have to worry about. I'm going to turn this over to my good friend, Ron Edwards. You just remember, the lies that are going on right now don't help the U.S. economy. And we'll be back with Hour 2 of Black Man Thinking right after Ron. When I was a little boy growing up in Cleveland, my dad taught me to respect the police and that the local police were a symbol of stability. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. In recent weeks, we the people have witnessed the police standing idly by while legions of thugs broke into businesses ranging from high-end department stores in Chicago's Magnificent Mile, New York City's Fifth Avenue, to Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, and many other locales. On the other hand, police in New York City are operating like United Nations million bullies, dragging non-criminals out of restaurants and arresting them for not taking a jab. Such draconian measures not only stomped upon the unalienable rights of sovereign individuals, but continue to harm small businesses as the government continues to utilize the Corona China virus to disintegrate the middle class with help from the thin blue line who for the most part is now only a threat to non-threatening law-abiding sovereign citizens may we the people rise up quickly and stop this madness before it's much too late i'm ron edwards for constitution
traditional grounds the coffee you want in your cup, simply go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo 5-0. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm John Scott. Several people injured in that fire in New York City that killed 19 people are still in critical condition. Fire officials say a malfunctioning space heater in a bedroom on a lower floor caused the blaze and an apartment door left open let the smoke quickly spread through the 19-floor building. Winter Thomas, who lived on 9, made it out with her family. My friend and her family didn't make it, so I'm just thanking God that me and my family made it. Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro says it wasn't the blaze that killed the nine children and ten adults. It was the smoke. Members found victims on every floor in stairways and were taking them out in cardiac and respiratory arrest. The fire injured more than 60. Many residents say false alarms were so common they were often ignored. The blaze was the city's deadliest since the Happy Land Fire in 1990. Julie Walker, New York. Also at townhall.com, Chicago's dispute with the teachers' union over COVID restrictions stretching now into its second week. More from Bernie Bennett. Chicago school leaders are canceling classes for a fourth day in the nation's third largest school district, taking the dispute with the teachers' union over remote learning and COVID-19 protocols into another week. The announcement Sunday came as individual principals at some schools had already notified some parents that their children could not return to school on Monday due to staffing shortages. Chicago schools face the same pandemic issues as others nationwide, but the situation in union-friendly Chicago has been amplified in a labor dispute that's familiar to families in the mostly low-income black and Latino district. Bernie Bennett reporting. Novak Djokovic returning to the tennis court for training, having won a legal battle to stay in Australia and play in the Australian Open after his exemption from strict coronavirus rules was questioned. But the government's still threatening to cancel his visa and deport him. The Dow is down 442 points. The Nasdaq off 271. More at townhall.com. Your pets have this. Hi, folks. I'm Watson Prenier, the host of Battle for Freedom. The show airs Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check me out on Battle for Freedom, where I'm triggering change one heartbeat at a time. Supply line interruptions are definitely here to stay, especially given the incredible talent we have working at the U.S. Transportation Department. However, you don't need to fear these interruptions. You can be prepared. Go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com. It's contest time. I wanted to give back to all you lovely, fabulous listeners with a custom one-of-a-kind tumbler designed by the emotional meatball Rocky Stucci of Insane Custom Tumblers. All you have to do to qualify is email dammitwithbeaver at gmail.com a time that you think that I'm going to cry during this weekend's episode. Will it be five minutes in? 10 minutes, 27, 38, who knows? But you have to enter to win by 4 p.m. Eastern Time Saturday. Whoever is the closest will win this amazing tumbler. You can see more of Rocky's work 
by going to insanecustomtumblers.com. Don't forget, email me by 4 p.m. Eastern time at dammitwithbeaver at gmail.com and listen at 5 p.m. on Mojo 50 Radio. After a long, hard night, I am exhausted. I need something that will stimulate me. That's why I start each day with Ron's sexual chocolate. It really gets me off to work. Find the flavor that stimulates you and gets you off to work at AmericanPrideRoasters.com. Every Mojo 5 show is available on demand at Mojo50.com. solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking, thinking, Stanley Levy with Hour 2 of Black Man Thinking here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 50 Radio. And, of course, you can also get Black Man Thinking anywhere that you go for your podcasts. So we're very happy to, to know that we're getting out there. And uh, let's kind of get to work. So what can a joker um, teach you about liberty? So and what am I referring to? Well, for those who don't follow tennis, and I would put myself semi in that category at least, uh, Novak Djokovic of Serbia is the number one ranked tennis on the ATP tour. He's the number one ranked tennis player in the world. And he is on the verge of history. He, along with uh, two other um, very accomplished tennis players, Roger Federer, I think some, some of you probably have heard of him, and um, Nadal, Rafael Nadal, I believe all are tied with 20 career Grand Slam titles. Grand Slams in tennis being the U.S. Open, 
the French Open, Wimbledon, and the Australian Open. The Australian Open is set to start on the 17th of January. And Djokovic, if he were able to win that, would become the first player ever to win 21 Grand Slam titles. But there's a hiccup. Australia is COVID stupid. But, and what I mean by that is they have gone off the deep end for COVID. The government has, and various uh, state governments within, um, within uh, the nation. And the federal government is trying to walk a thin line, but they're 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 just as stupid. We, there's no there's no sense trying to say that they're, that they're not. So Djokovic is trying to come into that situation and win his 21st Grand Slam. So what's the why why does the COVID thing have any? What does that have to do with anything? Isn't uh, isn't uh, Novak Djokovic uh, vaccinated like you're supposed to be? Well, we don't know. He won't say. We do know that he is right now sitting in a hotel, a quarantine hotel in Australia, along with other people that the government of, of Australia have deemed unable to enter their country. He's just being held there, uh, pending a court hearing in his case. So let me give you a quick overview of how this occurred. Tonight, the world's top-ranked men's tennis player caught in the middle of an international COVID incident. Novak Djokovic landed in Melbourne today to play in the Australian Open, but his visa has been rejected according to the country's border officials. He's now in danger of being deported. His coach posted an Instagram of Djokovic saying, not the most usual trip down under. According to Reuters, his lawyers are appealing the decision. Australian Open officials had granted the star a COVID-19 medical exemption to compete. Earlier today, Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison sending out a sharp warning that all foreigners entering the country need to be vaccinated unless they qualify for an exemption, including Djokovic. If that evidence is insufficient, then he won't be treated any different to anyone else and he'll be on the next plane home. So uh, there should be no special rules for Novak Djokovic at all. None whatsoever. Djokovic has said in the past he's opposed to getting vaccinated while consistently keeping his own status private. So whether someone wants to get a vaccine or not, that's completely up to them. Reuters reporting that Djokovic sought a type of visa that does not apply to those granted a medical exemption from the COVID vaccines. The 20-time Grand Slam winner's participation has drawn criticism from even fellow players. If it was me that wasn't vaccinated, I wouldn't be getting an exemption. Another superstar athlete and vaccine skeptic is getting set to make a return to his sport. Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving is expected to play his first NBA game tonight since refusing the vaccine. New York City's indoor vaccine mandate has kept a seven-time All-Star from playing in home games all season long. After initially barring Irving from competing as a part-time player, the Nets have now decided to allow him to compete in road games. Uh, Things happen for a reason, and now we're here, and I'm just grateful for this. All right, Morgan joins us now. So, Morgan, I understand you have some new reporting on the entry issue into Australia. Yeah, Tom, that's right. The Australian government has made it clear that that entry visa for Djokovic has been denied, and they have suggested potential deportation. The prime minister is saying that no one is above the law when it comes to entering their borders, not even Djokovic. In the meantime, uh, we have heard that his team could file an injunction that would essentially appeal that decision. But for now, Djokovic was last seen heading to a hotel in Melbourne. A lot of drama heading into that open. And before you go, Morgan, I know that some uh, government officials in Serbia, where Novak's from, are responding pretty heavily to Australia. 
That's absolutely right. The top elected officials there saying that they are backing the number one tennis star in the world, saying that they'll use whatever power they have at their disposal to try to uh, make sure he is able to play in this Australian Open. Keep in mind that uh, this could be a history-making moment for the star here, Tom. If he wins, he would surpass both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal with 21 Grand Slam victories, making him the all-time leader. A chance in sports history here that could be totally overshadowed. Yeah, a lot Tom? of fans looking forward to this tournament. All right, thanks so much for that, Morgan. That was the 5th of January. The next day, the Prime Minister of Australia obviously didn't feel like he had said enough about the situation with Mr. Djokovic, chose to comment further. On the issue of Mr. Djokovic, um, rules are rules. And there are no special cases. Rules are rules. And I want to thank the Australian Board of Force Officers for doing their job, implementing the government's policy. And... Uh, the ABF has done their job. Entry with a visa requires double vaccination or a medical exemption. Um, I'm advised that such an exemption was not in place, and as a result, he is subject to the same rule as anyone else. I also want to stress that ultimately, this is the responsibility of the traveller. It is for the traveller to be able to assert and back up their ability to come into the country consistent with our laws. Of course, this is the um, same Scott Morrison who not that long ago, I think it was uh, in the month of December, uh, indicated it was time for the Australian government to step back and to allow the people of Australia to get their lives back, have their freedoms back. I guess um, you're not allowed to be free in Australia unless you are a citizen of Australia, and that kind of exempts um, Mr. Jokovic. Also, I find it interesting, you know, that the uh, the border force did their job, which was in, uh, enforcing government rules. I thought the purpose of government was to actually kind of implement the will of the people that the government, that the country would be governed in a way that is beneficial to them, not necessarily beneficial to the government. More on that um, sometime in the, in the future. So what I'm looking at right now is Djokovic has decided to try to play. He submitted his papers for a visa. And once he got there, apparently it seemed that someone wanted to say that the visa uh, papers were not to be accepted. I find that interesting. So the what else is interesting is um, you know how how other tennis players are re responding to that. Um, you heard the gentleman who said, you know, well, if I if I was in this situation, uh, I wouldn't be getting uh, special treatment. Well, that's probably because you're ranked like two hundred fifty thousandth in the world. You suck, and nobody cares whether or not you play. You're not you're not accomplished. You just happen to be playing with a ball for money. Um, Rafael Nadal said something interesting. He says, well, you know, I kind of feel for him, but, you know, this is all in his control, too. Now, of course, Nadal has a vested interest in him not playing in the in the Australian Open because if he wins, it would mean that he would beat Nadal to 21 Grand Slam victories. And therefore, you may have a bit of competitive gamesmanship saying yeah 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 we want him to do what he wants to do but you know he could have avoided this whole thing himself so if, if he doesn't make it too bad i understand that don't agree with it 
and uh, Mats Vielander of Switzerland, who was a former very good tennis player, um, has weighed in with uh, even a different opinion on the whole matter with Mr. Djokovic. I can't believe, and I can, that he's hanging around, that he's willing to fight this out, to hear it out, uh, staying in in just a a regular hotel. I'm sure that he's been treated exactly the same way as all the other uh, travelers that haven't been allowed uh, uh, access into the country. So I think he's showing a lot of... uh, a lot of um, guts to just hang around and say, hey, I want to I want to play the Australian Open. I'm going to get in somehow. I want to hear what the courts have said. It could be very easy for him to turn around and just say, you know what, Australia, um, I don't need to. You guys made a mistake somewhere along the line. I had the right papers, but he's not. He's willing to hear it out. So I think that's where my thoughts go first. And then, um, I mean, is there a, somebody that made a mistake along the way? That's what I'm trying to find out. I mean, who made a mistake along the way? Who promised Novak that he was going to be able to come into the country? Or was it just... A pure situation. I don't know. Why don't you give it a shot? Maybe you can. Maybe they will let you in. I don't really know. The interesting thing about Mr. Vlander's comments is it actually plays into the idea that somebody should pursue their goals despite opposition. Let me get back to that because the current situation with Mr. Djokovic is he is now awaiting Um, a court hearing which is supposed to occur on January 10th if I'm not mistaken tennis star Novak Djokovic says he has all the right paperwork to play in the Australian Open Djokovic claims he tested positive for COVID-19 last month and that allows him to request a vaccine exemption many of his fans are still wondering why he's still under forced quarantine in a hotel in Melbourne Kitty Logan has the latest on all of that Hi, John. So we now know that Novak Djokovic tested positive for COVID last December, which was why he was given an exemption to the usual requirement to be fully vaccinated when entering Australia. Djokovic's team argue he did have a valid visa and all the right documents to enter Australia. But the government revoked that visa and isn't letting him budge from this immigration hotel. His team believe he should still be allowed in to play because his recent COVID case allows him not to be vaccinated. But to add to the confusion, pictures on social media appear to show Djokovic at public events after the date his team claimed he tested positive. Fans outside the detention hotel say conditions there just aren't good enough for this top tennis star. But in Australia, there's been one of the strictest lockdowns anywhere in the world, and many people there are unsympathetic to his case. Others say his fate has become politicised as an election looms in Australia. Back in Djokovic's home country, Serbia, family and fans also demonstrated for his release. They believe he's being treated unfairly and blame the Australian government. Even the Serbian Prime Minister has waded in and complained about his treatment. Djokovic is ranked number one in the world and is the defending champion at the Australian Open. The tournament starts on January 17th and this delay means losing critical preparation time. His team want him moved to a hotel with a tennis court and to have a special diet while they try to untangle this bureaucratic mess. There'll be a legal court hearing on Monday in Australia which could decide whether Novak Djokovic will appear on a tennis court at the tournament. John? Kitty Logan, thank you. That was Fox, uh, that was Fox News from the 9th of January reporting on the situation with Novak Djokovic. I want to go back to um, the comments by Scott Morrison and then the comments by Mats Vlander, where 
um, Mr. Morrison and saying, you know, rules are rules. You know, it's the same guy who said that, uh, you know, the Australian government needs to step back and allow people to have their liberties. But that's not sending, seems to be holding up because after he said that, he actually gave military support to state governments or provincial governments in Australia to round up people uh, uh, seems like it was principally aboriginal um, people in Australia who had tested positive or otherwise were out of favor with the COVID policy of the uh, of the regime and locked them away in detention centers. I don't, it's, I don't think it's the same detention center situation that Djokovic is dealing with but it's interesting that this idea of freedom from government tyranny telling people what to do seems to only go so far in Australia which is interesting because you know they're you know Australia was founded by a bunch of prisoners from from Great Britain and it seems like instead of um having the attitude of freed prisoners they have adopted the um attitude of prison guards and they are just trying to make sure that everybody follows the rules. That's kind of what a prison guard would do. But what Mr. Vlander said, he kind of admired that Djokovic would fight this. Now, the interesting thing is he said, you know, he could have just said, you know what, so I, I, did, I did my part. You guys are coming up with, with some other stuff that's not really part of what should be going on. And I, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this. But he wants to compete. He wants to win. He wants to, quote-unquote, make history in his sport. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a big fan of tennis, but I'm a big fan of people who actually are willing to go through obstacles to achieve things because that is the only way anything gets moved. And in case people have forgotten government is always an obstacle to achievement it is very rarely very rarely if ever a stepping stone to achievement the British government was an obstacle to the liberty of the colonists the government of the confederate states was an obstacle to the abolition of slavery the governments of the former confederate states was an obstacle to actual civil rights for um, Americans who were of African extract or extraction I guess that's the right word black Americans the government right now in America is an obstacle to freedom for people to simply go about their lives and earn their living as they normally would Interesting in America, 38 out of 50 states don't have a whole bunch of COVID policies, if any, but 12 do. And the federal government is, without clear constitutional authority, trying to extend that throughout the country, including upon the 38 states who don't want it, which is kind of a kick in the face to federalism. understand this liberty means that the individual always have to go against the 
group will that is represented rightly or wrongly by government, you're going to have to do that. Gandhi had to do that. He had to go against the British government. Martin Luther King, who adopted Gandhi's um, policies and approaches, had to do that. Everybody who wants to achieve something has to go against a majority that would rather have them go a different way. Just because it's tennis, not the most important thing in the history of mankind, but just because it's tennis doesn't change the situation for Mr. Jokovic. This is what he's got to do. Is he up to it? I don't know. I'll be the first one to say, I don't know. But here's something else. Remember this, because these um, these athletes, particularly the international athletes, they're aware because they talk and they talk across sports and they said, you know, so Jokovic is probably well aware of the scores or at least dozens of international soccer players who after getting vaccinated have died. Some of the healthiest people you can imagine because, you know, you're playing professional soccer. I'm sorry, for soccer, you're running. You're on your feet for the entire game and as, as long as you're in the game and you are running. You got to run to play soccer. You got to run, you got to shift, you got to do all these things. You have to be very fit. Fittest players in the world dropping dead after they get a COVID vaccination. Falling out on the soccer pitch. You think Djokovic doesn't know about that? You think that may have had some uh, influence on his decision not to get vaccinated? I think it did. Over here in America, we have a couple of other uh, people. In the piece about Djokovic, they mentioned Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving just told the NBA, let me tell you what you can do with that needle. I'm not t- you're not putting it in me. Well, if you, if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to play. I got you. And, I'm, and you're not putting that needle in me. And he was banned. The NBA banned him. Uh, from participation uh, to an extent, but more importantly or more directly, the Brooklyn Nets basically said, you can't be involved with the team because uh, if we follow the rules that are put out there by the NBA um, and the city of New York, you'd only be able to play uh, away games uh, in cities where there were no COVID restrictions, which is most NBA cities, I, I would imagine. And he said, but then they said, well, we're not going to allow you to do that because we don't, we don't want a part-time player. And Kyrie Irving said, got it. No problem. I'll be sitting down right now. And as you heard in the clip, well, they changed their minds and now all of a sudden he can play part-time. He stood his ground and his accomplishments as a basketball player moved the Brooklyn Nets who were less committed to their position than Kyrie Irving was to his, they backed down. Here's another one. Aaron Rodgers, uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback. Uh, he's, he's a pretty leftist guy. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. He's nobody's conservative. However, he supposedly lied about his COVID uh, vaccination status. 
and then tested positive for COVID-19. And there was about two weeks of just turmoil within the NFL circles about Aaron Rodgers lied, Aaron Rodgers did this, Aaron Rodgers is not a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Ten days later, he was back on the field. And he didn't budge. He didn't get vaccinated. He didn't talk to anybody about um, his immunity. He didn't say anything about that. Stan, what's your point? Accomplished people, even if the only thing they're accomplished, uh, even if all their accomplishments involve is playing a game with a ball, accomplished people know BS when they see it and they will challenge it. And in, in some cases, they are so committed to their position that they would rather lose the fight on their terms than to win a battle on yours. Jokovic could win in court. I don't know how likely that is, but on the merits, he could prevail. And if not, the question is, would he then get vaccinated? But being vaccinated probably wouldn't save him because then you have to be vaccinated for a certain amount of time before they believe everything kicks in, whatever. But what you're going to learn, or what you could learn from this, is if you're going to be at liberty, you're going to have to fight the powers that would tell you that you cannot be. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking, we'll be back right after this. You want to wake up refreshed like you slept on a cloud. Get yourself the very best in bedding supplies today. You deserve it. Go to MyPillow.com and don't forget our very special promo code, Mojo50, for incredible savings. Dominic and Ashley from Rants of Izzo on Mojo Five O. What are your impressions of Tin Can Radio? Um, he's getting some sort of a brain bug. Oh yeah, Dom. Yeah, absolutely. What? Bird In the flu? literal F. Uh, unacceptable. Oh not- no, no, no! It's 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 garbage. Didn't you hear that's garbage? I, I heard. I I did. I I did hear that. Tin Can Radio. Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Mojo Five O, or anytime on the Spreaker Podcast app. Supply chain disruptions, shortages, panic buying. Unfortunately, they've all become facts of life in 2021. The good news is you have preparewithmojo50.com as a hedge against all the craziness. At preparewithmojo50.com, not only will you find emergency food supplies. Remember when that seemed like a fringe conspiracy theory thing to do? Not so much anymore, right? Not only will you find the emergency food supply, but also water filtration, air filtration, all sorts of other tools that you can use in the event of uh, an unforeseen situation or emergency which with every day that goes by seems more and more likely. Better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Preparewithmojo50.com. If you want to keep food on the table, if you just want to maintain some sense of normalcy, preparewithmojo50.com is the answer. Preparewithmojo50.com. What? Didn't see you there. I was busy eating this delicious meal from preparewithmojo50.com. You look hungry. Do you want some? Of course you do. 
Get your own. You can go to preparewithmojo50.com. That's preparewithmojo50.com. You can't have mine. In her hands. And what this is designed to do is to give a group of women who live in the old fourth ward in the city of Atlanta a sum of about $850 a month for a two year period of time. No application, no strings attached, just here's your money, and then they're going to come back and see how it affected them. $850 a month is not an inconsequential sum, particularly for people who are on the lower end of the income scale. So we're talking about giving black women in Atlanta, Georgia, and maybe some other places, $10,000 a year, no strings attached for two years, and wondering if that's going to be good. Now the money's being donated, and let me say this up front, I I don't give a rat's behind what people do with their money if um, you know if Jeff Bezos decided to liquidate his holdings and and gift uh, you know 50 people with a billion dollars each what do I care it's not my money it's his money he came by he came by it honestly if I by all uh, examinations of which I'm aware what he does with it what he is what he what he can. Um, there are nonprofits involved in this inner hand, her hands program. So they go out and they solicit funds uh, from corporations and other uh, sources. And what those people, if those people choose to give money to a charity program, then okay, I don't care. That part is something I don't care about. The idea of giving black women money with no strings attached has already been tried in this country and it has failed miserably. Perhaps some of you will recall this. And this administration today, here and now, declares unconditional war on poverty in America. And I urge this Congress and all Americans to join with me in that effort. It will not be a short or easy struggle. No single weapon or strategy will suffice. But we shall not rest until that war is won. The richest nation on earth can afford to win it. We cannot afford to lose it. 
$1,000 invested in salvaging an unemployable youth today can return $40,000 or more in his lifetime. Poverty is a national problem requiring improved national organization and support. But this attack to be effective must also be organized at the state and the local level and must be supported and directed by state and local efforts. For the war against poverty will not be won here in Washington. It must be won in the field, in every private home, in every public office, from the courthouse to the White House. The program I shall propose will emphasize this cooperative approach to help that one-fifth of all American families with incomes too small to even meet their basic needs. Our chief weapons in a more pinpointed attack will be better schools and better health and better homes and better training and better job opportunities to help more Americans, especially young Americans, escape from squalor and misery and unemployment roles where other citizens help to carry them. For those who are not familiar, that was uh, President then-President Lyndon Mays Johnson in his, I believe it was his State of the Union speech in 1964, where he announced the war on poverty. Now, there was no mention specifically in that clip, at least, of black women. However, the war on poverty, as it uh, dealt with blacks, was steeped in the low expectations and many um, errant assumptions about black people that plague white liberals. Uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan being one of the more uh, famous and passionate of those who actually penned a, the Moynihan Report uh, in 1965, which actually, you look back on it now, and it, de- it demonstrates that the problems in black America have nothing to do with the lack of anti-poverty programs. Moynihan himself pointed out when he looked at the situation, for example, in 1965 in Watts, illegitimacy in Harlem was 44%. Now, of course, people look at that now and, you know, they kind of laugh, they kind of snickered that, oh, wow, really, that's all? At the time, that was scandalous. But what he pointed out was, if you back up 19, if you back up 15 years from 1965 to 1950, the problems that he was seeing as he put together his report and looked around New York City, since that's where he was, um, that's where he was at the time working for, I believe, it was Mayor Lindsay. He's saying, we didn't see that in 1950. That's just happened in the last 15 years. There were no programs. 
And this was not something that was universal to all black people. He, he acknowledged that. You know, half or so of black people are firmly in the middle class and this doesn't apply to them. But now we're looking at the, the other end of blacks. Basically, what I call Negroes, K-N-E-E hyphen G-R-O-W-S, oh, they, they've been around for a minute. They were around back in 1965. The same type of women who are com- more commonplace now, who had no problem opening their legs and, and um, creating illegitimate children. Then it was still a little bit on the, you know, they ain't, they ain't the way we're supposed to roll. Now it is the way that blacks roll in many plurality and majority black areas. That's just, that's just commonplace. Marriage is like, well, why would you get married? You don't need to get married to have a baby. Not to mention, the money gets tied gets tagged onto the woman and is associated at least up to a point up until 1996 with however many women she however many children she had the more children she had if she needed a raise she just went out and got pregnant again has anyone does anyone recall what that did to the black family the nuclear black family has been decimated. In the 1950s into the 1960s, 60% of black families or black adults were married. They were married. Married. Are, are, are you hearing me on that? Now we have 32% of black men and 26% black women who are married. 60%, more than half, down to less than a third of black men and barely, and just over a quarter of black women. The illegitimacy rate of 44% that was localized to Harlem, it was around 25% for blacks nationally. And that, again, was considered a scandalous number back in the 1960s, is now 77.3%. Seven out of nine, nearly seven out of every nine black children born are what would be known or classified as bastards. And which, when it gets to that number, it is not accidental. It is not an oops. It is a decision. It is purposeful. It is commonplace. You have changed black families for the worse. And you did that by giving money directly to black females with no strings attached. Your programs that they set up were such that if a black man was resident in the home of a black woman and her children, the money that she was getting from the government would be cut. There was a movie, I think it was in 1974, Claudine, uh, had uh, Diane Russell and uh, James Earl Jones in it. And it depicted how life went around that time. She was a single mother with, I think, something like five children. Wow. Uh, and he was someone who was interested in her because, you know, hey, you know, Diane, Diane Carroll was nice looking in the 1970s. But anyway, she's always nice looking anyway. But um, they had scenes in that where the social worker would come. And 
what you had to do was not only hide any man that was in the residence, but hide any signs that a man had been present on the premises. He couldn't be there. Nothing could be there. You had to be you had to be a black woman without a man, or at least without a black man, in order to get to keep getting this money. What do you think that did? Well, you know, back in the 1950s, 1960s, and even today, uh, black men, uh, they didn't have jobs. I said, really? My father was a black man in the 1950s. He had a job. He enlisted into the military so that he could have a job. He made sure of that. And it was after he had secured that job and it spent a few years on that job as, a, as an enlisted man in the Air Force that he met and married my mother. Well, everybody can't do that. You know what? See, that's the excuse. There's always an excuse for failure. But, there, but here's the thing. There's never a reason. But the one thing I can tell you is giving money to black women who don't have a man and that's exactly what they're going to do again does not work well for black um, for black uh, people it never has where are we now with that well well, black women have always ca- carried the burden no white liberals have always put the burden with black females and helped them while they've put a heavier burden on black men and gave them no support. Let me tell you, do you think the black family would be in a different situation if the war on poverty and the programs targeting blacks with associated with that said, you know what, we'll give, we'll give you men um, money to take care of your families, but you have to have a family or we're not giving you any money. What do you think would happen to the marriage rate? Well, you know, men wouldn't do this. Really? Really? For those who wanted a family, and the reason that was not, the reason they didn't have a family was because of finances, and all of a sudden the government's going to give them the type of money where they can buy food and, 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 and have, a, have a place to live, and you think no black men would have jumped on that? Well, then they just would have been wards of the state. Well, gee whiz, like that's not what black women did. And let's not forget something exceedingly important. When you took black men out of the home, which is what you did with the war on poverty that started in 1964, you gave rise to all the problems that we see now with black males, young black males. Because they're not being raised by fathers. They're being raised by baby daddies and, and, and uh, other men who just happen to want to smash their mothers. Now, is that, does that mean that all those men are bad? Does not. But we've created a culture where it's not a man who's establishing a family. It's a woman who is what we would call loose or promiscuous. Because let me help you out here. You cannot sit up here and have three or more children by two or more different men, never marrying any of them, and convince 
any sane person that you're simply not promiscuous. You can call it whatever you want, but you're not a person of character. You're not a person of morals. And the type of men you attract are likely or are less likely themselves to be persons of character or morals. And there is where you now find black people. All because you give money to women. Are you trying to say that we didn't do this to to white women? No, you don't get it. Nobody else's women responded the way black women did. And the problem was with black women is they were already going in this direction even before even before the Monaghan report was written because the Monaghan report just just reported what they found and they also noted that they didn't see that before 1950 about that program in Georgia though I, I, I want to give you um, a short and a long synopsis on that all new this morning, a program is raising money in the hopes of fighting economic inequality. It's providing a guaranteed income for hundreds of women starting in Atlanta's old fourth ward. The program called In Her Hands started by a community organization, the Georgia Resilience and Occupancy Fund. Here's how it works. 600 black women across the state will get $850 per month for at least the next two years. Organizers hope the overall fund will total more than $13 million. The money is no strings attached. Families can spend it on anything they like, and families are being invited, so there is no application process. In a tweet, the program's executive director says they launched a guaranteed income program to fight economic inequality at the root. And now let's um, listen to the longer one. This comes from TNA Media, and it kind of makes some comparisons about some other things that have gone on as well with regard to universal basic income. Hundreds of women in Georgia will get $850 per month in guaranteed income. A new guaranteed income pilot will give hundreds of dollars per month to poor women in Georgia in an effort to improve their financial stability and mental health and tackle the racial wealth gap. The program, called in her hands, will give about $850 in monthly cash, no strings attached, to up to 650 women for two years. Launching early next year and distributing more than $13 million, it is poised to be one of the largest guaranteed income pilot programs in the U.S. Led by the Georgia Resilience and Opportunity Fund, a coalition of local elected officials and nonprofits, and the nonprofit Give Directly, the program will include participants who live in Atlanta and other parts of suburban and rural Georgia who are near or below the federal poverty line. The program will study how such unconditional cash transfers affect the financial and mental well-being of participants. It is intentionally being started in Atlanta, a city with some of the most pronounced income inequality in the U.S., and specifically in its old Fourth Ward neighborhood. Women have also been hit disproportionately hard by the COVID-19 pandemic and the accompanying economic crisis, being more likely than other groups to face job loss and eviction. Some people overall in the U.S. have experienced higher rates of hospitalization and death from the coronavirus. Women are among the most likely groups to experience cash shortfalls that make covering basic needs difficult. This isn't the result of poor choices. It's the result of pervasive economic insecurity that has the sharpest impacts on women and communities, Hope Wolensack, executive director of the GRO Fund, said in a release. 
Guaranteed income is a step toward creating a more just and equitable economy. The idea of a guaranteed income, or free money with no conditions, to improve economic and other outcomes for low-income people is not new. It's been tested at large scale in countries such as Kenya and India with positive results, including improved nutrition and in Finland, where recipients reported improvements in their health and well-being. Give Directly, the nonprofit co-leading the pilot in Georgia, ran the world's largest and longest universal basic income experiment in Kenya. In the U.S., other guaranteed income projects have shown promise. In Stockton, California, 125 people were sent $500 in cash each month for a year. Research found that recipients had better job prospects and improved mental health, and that they used the cash to purchase basic necessities. Meanwhile, for a year, Magnolia Mothers Trust in Mississippi gave $1,000 per month to single moms, who said it made a difference in their lives. And Oakland, California, is currently running a guaranteed income program giving $500 cash each month to 600 low-income families. In the U.S., a federal report from 2019 found that nearly 40% of Americans would not be able to cover a $400 surprise expense. With this in mind, Rep. Ilhan Omar introduced legislation this year that would create a federal guaranteed income program to send $1,200 a month directly to most Americans. In promoting the legislation, Omar pointed to the success of the government's own experiment in giving cash to people. Millions of Americans received three rounds of stimulus checks during the pandemic. These payments were found to substantially alleviate economic hardship, helping people buy food and pay bills, and may have helped reduce anxiety and depression for some people. Well, as soon as you tell me that uh, Ilan Omar uh, favors something like this, and I already know it's a bad idea for America, I already know that. As soon as someone tells me what's been going on in Kenya and India and saying how there were positive results of this, then I know it's bad for America. I don't want to be Kenyan. I don't want to be uh, Indian, as in the nation of India. I have nothing against them. I'm an American. My heritage is, is of a people who came to a land not their own and made a great nation of it. That's not what happened in Kenya. Kenya is not even a great nation today, at least not by American standards. India is a much more populous nation, but no one would argue that it is a greater nation than the United States. You do not build greatness through handouts. You cannot. And remember, you tore down what was one of the better demographics morally and from a character standpoint, in America, black people, through handouts given to women, and now here comes somebody who wants to do the same thing again, just not use the government as their source of funding. You think you're going to get a different result? You think marriage is going to increase? Because if you want to fix the black family, you're going to need to increase marriage. You think you're going to have more um, nuclear families? Because you give women money with no strings attached? Because you're going to need that if you're going to, if you're going to actually build up blacks in America. Is, is, if you give women these money, are they going to go to church and even, oh, dare I say, give a tenth of it to, um, to, to support the, the work of the Lord? Because unless and until black people start respecting the God of Israel as they once did, I'm not saying obedience, be nice if they would obey, but at least respecting the God of Israel as they once did, then there's never going to be any hope for them. 
And oh, by the way, this money will roll, will run out. Because at the end of the day, somebody in America is going to wake up and say, if you want, you, if you want money, instead of having me go to work and then let you get it for free, you need to go do what normally happens for folks who are trying to get paid. That's what's going to happen. But what you, what are you going to do to black people? You are because why are we doing this to black people? You are doing this to cement their status as a compromised population. That's all you're doing. Well, we're trying to help black women. If you want to help black women, get black women to get with respect marry and be faithful to black men well what about black men they gotta do the same you know what you work your side of the street I'm not letting black men off the hook but you need to work your side of the street black men aren't the ones who are leading the nation in literally every category of STD infection including nearly 40 more than 48 percent of black females walking around with genital herpes black men don't have that they're at 24 percent that's scandalous you're at 48 percent chlamydia ah gosh everything but gonorrhea just about when are you going to deal with that plus you kill children in the womb at a rate three times that of white people well, if black men would step up, if black men would step up, well, I guess you a question. Did you know that sex causes pregnancy? Did you know that unprotected sex causes pregnancy? And do you know what well, it takes two to make a baby? It only takes one to stop it. Only one to only takes one to to, to uh, prevent pregnancy. And there's all kinds of methods of birth control if you don't want to be pregnant. So why are you getting pregnant? And I'll say this for a long time. In America today, pregnancy is not the responsibility of the man. He has no say in whether or not a woman chooses to use contraception or not. He has no say in whether a pregnant woman continues with her pregnancy. He can't ask for her to, to, to abort a child. He can't make her he can't, he, can't, he can't ask for an abortion, nor can he prevent one. He can't prevent the pregnancy. He can't prevent, he, can't, he has no say what the woman does after she gets pregnant. How are you holding him responsible for anything? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And the, one of the reasons we got here was you empowered women with money they did not earn. You put that together with the sexual revolution where you had the birth control pill and everything else coming up. 1960s was a very interesting period of time in this country and around the world. But you set up a destructive cycle that is still devastating black people. You're not going to recover from this by, by repaving that road that destroyed the nuclear family in the black community this is not going to do anything good well she's going to have greater peace of mind greater peace of mind doing what 
Life is not about having peace of mind. Life is about having achievements. Giving Someone giving you money that you did not earn, that's not an achievement. That's not an achievement. And you're not going to rebuild black people with this. This is a mistake that people will pursue because they do not want black people to ever again be leaders in America. Because when we led before, things did change. And that's our show. And that leadership is a civil rights movement for those who need to know. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. And until next week, do take care. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.